Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, praise God uh, for the opportunity we have to worship Him. Now, as we hear the Word of God preached to us, we are actually continuing worshiping our God. And uh, it is my privilege this morning to introduce our preacher this morning. Uh, if you have been at Cross Point for a while, uh, you'll remember that uh, a, a few, a couple of times, uh, we've had Pastor Conrad Mbewe uh, preach here, and uh, this morning we've got the privilege to have uh, his son Windula um, Mbewe, Pastor Windula Mbewe, and uh, he is a pastor of Hillview Baptist Church, uh, as you have heard, and uh, Hillview Baptist Church is located in the capital city in Lusaka, Zambia, and it's in an, a region um, that is uh, called Chalala, it's Chalula, Chalala, I say that right. And um, so I'm really excited just uh, for you to get to hear from him. Uh, but a little uh, few details about uh, Pastor Mwindula Mbewe. He's a husband, father, and obviously a pastor. Uh, he's married to his wonderful, lovely wife, Namundi, and they have a young daughter named Tasuwila. And uh, you remember, I went to Uganda to teach at a pastoral training center last year, and actually I had the privilege to meet uh, his daughter and his uh, wife, and he was actually our convocation speaker at the pastoral training center uh, during the graduation, so I got to know them very well. Um, I can uh, say without a shadow of a doubt that this brother loves God, uh, he loves uh, the Word of God. He loves uh, the Gospel. And um, he, is, uh, he loves really t- being faithful to the, to the Scripture, which is exciting for me, especially coming from Africa, a continent where uh, there's so much false teaching on every corner. So it really excites me uh, to, to, to see uh, God raising up men uh, like Mwindula, uh, just how he continues to do that in his generation so let's uh, welcome Pastor Mwindula as he comes up uh, and praise the Lord for him. Pastor Mwindula. Well, good morning. Wow, it's such a, such a large view. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Well, it's good to be here with you. Um, I do love Jesus, but uh, I'm more grateful that he, he loves me. And I've fallen short of his glory even while I've been here. But again, I take comfort and hope and joy in the fact that he loves me. Well, we're talking about pride this morning and defeating pride in particular. Please turn to Philippians chapter 2, where we will hang or get our thoughts this morning. Philippians chapter 2. It's a great honor to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, back home, I take a class, a Sunday, <clears throat> Sunday school, excuse me, adult class uh, from 9 to 10 a.m., and midway through last year, we looked at the seven abominable sins from 
Proverbs chapter 6. And uh, the first one that is highlighted in Proverbs 6 verse 16 is, uh, in verse 17, is haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. So I took the church through each of the seven sins listed there one at a time. And this morning I'd like to speak to you about that first sin, pride, which is in the Hebrew poetic language called haughty eyes. But it's quite simply the sin of pride. Particularly, I want to talk to you about how we can defeat that sin. Amen? Some have called pride the fundamental sin. If you will, the cardinal sin. Still others have said that if we examined any sin, that at the root of that sin, we would find the sin of pride. Now, we must not minimize any sin. If you committed only one sin in your whole life, and it was the smallest, most insignificant sin, uh, and that would not even really harm anyone, let's say the, the sin of stealing a penny, right? That someone won't even notice has gone missing. That someone the owner wouldn't even care about. But if you committed just that sin in your whole life, that would warrant an eternity in hell. That's how holy God is. And that's how much he hates sin. So when we speak about the greatness of sin, we really must keep in mind that all sin is great in the eyes of God. And that the smallest, most minute sin is an abomination to him and will land us in hell for eternity. That being said... The, the pride warrants careful examination. The very first commandment God gave the Israelites was that they should have no other gods before him. The greatest, guess who the greatest false god is? Guess who the greatest idol is? I've never met you, but I bet I can tell you what it is for you. It's self that we put ourselves in the place of God, and let me tell you what, that's a pride issue. It is the God of self that, dear friends, is a pride issue. In addition, pride was the very first sin. Satan fell because of pride. Here's how it is recorded for us in Isaiah 14 and verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, Son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That was Satan. That was Lucifer, who existed as an angel in heaven, and then he began to think, you know what? I should be on the throne and not God. That was the very first sin, and it was a sin of pride. Adam and Eve, it was pride that ruined them. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat 
of this fruit, the forbidden, of the forbidden tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's a pattern here. Lucifer, who was an angel in heaven, said in his heart that he would make himself like the most high. And now Adam and Eve, what does he use to convince them to rebel against God? You will be like God. Need I tell you that God hates pride? God sets himself against the proud, but grants grace to the humble. Yes, all sin is abominable in God's sight, but pride warrants our careful consideration. Well, let's look at the sin of pride by considering Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to answer three questions. What is pride? We can't defeat something we don't know, right? What is pride? Second question. How can we know if we are proud? And thirdly, how do we defeat this sin called pride? Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3 down to verse 8. Bible reads Philippians uh, 2, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which is excessive pride, but in humility, which is the opposite of pride, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not, to, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Again, the opposite of pride is humility, by becoming obedient. To the point of death, even death on a cross. So the word pride is not mentioned in the text, but clearly by the Apostle Paul's use of the word humility, he does have pride in mind. In this God-inspired and inerrant words that he writes. So let's begin. What is pride? Verse 3. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. By reversing this statement of what humility is, we get what pride is. Pride is counting yourself as more significant than others. We see immediately that pride is not limited to people who have something to be proud about. Even those who have little to nothing can be proud. Because pride is not necessarily about who you are and what you have. It is about how you view yourself in relation to others. Particularly, it is to count yourself as more important and superior 
to others. We have some false notions about pride and humility, and we need to subject and interrogate and expose those ideas under the light of this holy text. One of the wrong notions we have about pride and humility, we think being humble uh, means lying. Honestly, we do. Well, I'm here to tell you being humble does not mean lying. Some of us think that lying about facts makes us humble. You know you're the most intelligent person in your class, right? It's a fact. You know it's true. You, you, you get good grades. You always come out first in your class. And yet when you're asked, oh, man, you're so intelligent. Oh, no, you know. Not that intelligent, you know. And yet you know that you are very intelligent. No, lying does not make us humble. We, we can tell the truth. We can say, well, you know, yeah, come out number one in class. You might be onto something. <laughs> Humility does not necessarily, is not necessarily about words and actions. That's another misconception we have. Some of us may say we are humble by our words, but that doesn't mean we actually are. Some of us may perform activities that make us appear humble, like taking a lowly uh, a job or, or role in the church. And we think that that action of, that, that, of taking that role, that's a humble role, that's a lowly role, therefore makes us humble. No. You can take the humble role. You can call yourself a humble person and still be proud. One last misconception is demeanor. There are some of us who are shy and subdued by virtue of our personality. Sometimes it's our mood. That doesn't mean that we're humble just because we have a humble demeanor. None of those things mean we're humble. What then is pride? It is High regard for yourself in relation to others. Pride is a high view of yourself in comparison to others. Pride is to esteem yourself more highly than you do others. Pride is to think of yourself more highly than you think of others. One last synonym. Pride is to value yourself, to give yourself more worth than you give others. What word does Paul use in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 that conveys these ideas of how you regard yourself, how you view yourself, how you esteem yourself, how you think of yourself, how you value yourself? In the ESV, which is the version I'm using in verse 3, it's the word Count. Count. Do nothing, Philippians 2 verse 3, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count, regard, view, think of yourself, value yourself less significant than others. Count others, the ESV says, more significant than yourself. That's what pride's about. 
In other words, humility is not about how you actually are. You may, in fact, be the smartest person. You may be the wealthiest person. You may, in fact, be the most handsome or beautiful person. But here's my question. Does, that, does the fact that you are more intelligent, you have more money, you, 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 have, uh, you are more good-looking, does that now get to your head? And begin to make you think I'm more significant, I'm more important, I'm more valuable, I'm of more worth just because I am more handsome and beautiful. I do have more money. That's what pride is about. And that's why we said it's not lying. It's not denying the truth. It is about how much worth we place on ourselves in comparison to others. So here's my question. Do you think that just because you're smart, just because you're wealthy, just because you are good looking, whatever else it may be, do you think because of those things, you are more important than those who don't have what you have, than those who are not as good looking as you are, than those who are not as intelligent as you are? Does that make you feel more important and superior to them? just because you have those things which they don't? Does that make you think you have more value and worth than others? Dear friends, that's pride. Do you know that it's possible to be more gifted than others, to be more handsome and beautiful, more accomplished, more wealthy? Hear this, even more godly, more spiritual, more holy. Do you know it's possible to be all those things better than those around you and yet still have a low regard for yourself in comparison to you? It's possible. And that's what we call humility. Humility is about having a low view of yourself in comparison to others despite the fact that humanly speaking, you are better than them in some ways, better looking, uh, or whatever else it is. Pride, the attitude that we have when we meet someone who does not match up to us in some area because we begin to think that we are of more worth and value than them. That's pride. Let us move on to see in the text, for those of you uh, who are kind of scratching your head still. And saying, preacher man, well, I'm not so sure where I am on that. The text will help us. The second thing we see, how do I know whether or not I am proud? How can I tell? Verse 4, Philippians, uh, Philippians 2, verse 4. Let me read from verse 3 again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The key to knowing if you're proud or not is, guess what? You'd have never thought of it. Your levels of selfishness. A proud person is a selfish person. Selfishness is a byproduct of pride. 
someone who is proud and has a greater view of themselves in, compare, in comparison to others has trouble sharing with others. And it, it shouldn't surprise us. For as long as you think that you have more worth and of more value than someone else, you have great trouble sharing anything with them, being generous with them, giving to them. You have trouble being generous. Kids, the reason why you have trouble sharing your stuff with your friends or with your siblings is because you think you're more important than them. You think you're of more value than them. This is why we have less trouble being generous to people we hold in high regard. And by the way, generosity is not just with money, right? It's your time. It's your attention. It's your patience. Do you know we're more patient with people who we have high regard for than those who we don't? If you were backing your car out from the car lot after church and, um, you know, someone comes and scratches your car or dents your car a little bit, and you get out of that car, maybe you look in the rear view mirror and you see it's a banged up car. It's, it's, you know, it looks bad already and he's messing up your pretty car. You, you, you jumped out, you'd be enraged and you'd probably say, hey man, what, what's going on? Look where you're going, you know? Use your mirrors. But if you looked in your mirror and it was, uh, what cars are good here? Ferrari? Is that a good car in America? <laughs> and it was a Ferrari. Somehow you, you, you get a little more patient. You know what I'm saying? And, and worse, if you jump out of that car and guess who walks out? It's Elon Musk. You're like, hey, brother, I think I'm the one who backed into you. It's just easier to be more patient with those we hold in high regard. To give to those we hold in high regard. To give them our time, to give them our money. And that's why, you know, this messes with us. We're so tuned to look for something that makes this person worth our time and worth our money, worth our energy. And so when we meet someone, we're trying to, you know, size them up. Where are you from, you know? Uh, uh, what do you do? Where do you work? And because we, 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 we link how much time and, and interest we should show them to all these external things that we look for. To have high regard over someone. You want to know if you're proud? Examine your heart to see, in the words of the text, whether you put the interests of others before your own. How generous are you with your time, with your attention, with your money? That will give you a pretty good indicator of how proud you are. A heart that does not give is quite often a proud heart. To put it differently, if you thought or regarded or counted everyone else as more important than yourself, you would be the most generous person. Unfortunately, we buy into the world's ideas of who the important people are. We think in the categories of the world to determine who's more important. Our world tells us what? 
It tells us that the prettier you are, the more important and valuable you are. The fitter you are, right? You've got a great body, gym body, and you're fit, and you've got your muscles and so on. Then the more valuable you are, the more money you have, then the more worth you have. That's how the world thinks. The more degrees, the more college degrees and diplomas you have, the more valuable you are, the more... The, then the more important that you are. And unfortunately, we buy into the way the world thinks. But what does the Bible say? 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or any of the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and here it comes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And very important, verse 17. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world distinguishes between who is important and who is not, who I should give my time and my attention to based on what they've amassed in their life. And we buy into that. That's why social media is all about the polished pictures where people look like a million bucks. But when you meet them, they, you, you're in shock. They're nothing like what they their pictures look like. They do not drive the cars they post. Or perhaps they're driving it, but they're paying through their nose, right? Paying it off through their nose. Can't afford it. Why do we fall into this trap? Because we buy into the world's categories that my worth and the worth of other people consists in what they have. It's a lie. It's not true. The world is passing away. This stuff that we look at, that tells us that guy is important, that one isn't. That lady is important, that one isn't. All that stuff is going away. It's fading away. And believers should know better. The world is passing away with all of its desires. This body is perishing. I can go to the gym as much as I like. But hey, one day I'm going to die. This body will decay. And it will begin to fail me as I get older. That car will wear out. The car that's a hit today. No one's interested in it in 10 years, right? In 20 years. The house that I have that looks so beautiful will not be as beautiful in a few short years. The job I have is not mine for life. Though I think I'm a big shot because I've got this job. Well, guess what? One day I'm going to have to retire. Leave that job behind. Someone else will take over my position. I won't hold that job forever. All these things are passing away. And what a wrong place to look to determine the worth of someone. The world is passing away. And to heap all my worth on what I have amassed is foolishness. To think that my beauty and my handsomeness, which will be gone, in a few decades, is what makes me important and more better than the one who doesn't look as good as me. is folly. It's foolishness. 
Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That is not where we find the worth of anyone. In other words, when we grow in the biblical understanding that what we have is, is not a measure of how worthy we are, of how important we are, and what others have is not a measure of how important they are, we are better equipped to deal with pride in our hearts. For as long as we think that the importance of a person depends on what they have amassed, we will struggle with pride and, consistently, and, and consequently struggle with selfishness. Well, what's the solution? Third point. What's the solution to pride? Verse 5. My wife asked me, why are you going to preach on pride? Do, you know, is, do they have a pride problem? And I said, no. Uh, well, we all do, right? We all have a pride problem. But that's not why I chose to preach on pride. I chose to preach on pride and this text because I wanted to tell you about Jesus. And look at how he brings it out. Philippians 2 verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. I love this. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours. In Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The solution to all sin, I don't care what it is, is Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 5. This mindset, this way of thinking that is not prideful but humble, this way of thinking about others and, and ourselves where we regard them, we consider them, we count them as more significant than ourselves, this way of thinking, this mindset is ours in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, if we have trusted him for our salvation, this mindset is ours. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you believed in his name? In the salvation that he procured for you on that cross? If you have, this mind is yours in him through what he did. We have great resources to fight sin through the Savior Jesus Christ, if only we would believe in his death on the cross by which he defeated sin. If only we confess our sinfulness and our failure to measure up to what God expects of us, to his high standard, to his perfect standard. If we can confess that, if we can admit that and say, Lord, I can't measure up to what you require. I can only cast myself before you and plead for mercy because of what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. If I can do that, if you can do that, this mindset is yours in Christ. 
this resource, this mind will be ours increasingly in Jesus Christ. Have you done that, dear friend? What did it take, folks, for Jesus, who existed as God the Son, to incarnate and come down as a human being, born of a woman? What did it take for Jesus, who was in very nature God? That's what he says, right? Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't think, I need to hold on to my place. I need to hold on to my state. I need to hold on to my position. I can't let this go to go down there. What did it take for him to, to leave that place where he was worshipped by angels day and night to come on earth and be insulted by dust of the earth that he created? How was he able to give up his place his throne, step away and come down and carry our sins. He lived a perfect life, but he had to carry the sin of the world if he was going to help us and save us. He knew no sin, but he had to be sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. What did it take? For Jesus to, uh, to go through with this. And we know it was tough for him. Some of us think Jesus was having a field day down here. No. He left heaven, the glory of heaven, to come down here on earth. The Holy Son of God. What did it take? I'll tell you, it took humility. Verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient the point of death. Jesus had to do what we often fail to do for others. He counted, counted us as more significant than himself. Would you believe it? The God of heaven, worshipped by angels, creator of the universe said, I will not count myself as more significant. I'll count them, wicked, sinful people, as more significant than me. Thou go down, thou die for them. Is it because we were more significant? Of course not. But he counted us as more significant. He viewed us. He esteemed us. He valued us more greatly than he valued himself. God did that. That's what it took. If Jesus did not do that, he would have never agreed to leave his throne in heaven. Never. He would have never gone through with it. We know it was tough. He prayed the prayer, I can't believe, escaped his lips. Lord, take this cup. But not my will, but yours be done. Why? He valued us more highly than himself. We were, more, we were not more significant, but he counted us as more significant. And people have the guts to call God unrighteous and unholy. Would you believe it? To accuse God of unrighteousness and sin. What? Look at him. Look at Christ coming down and hanging upon that cross. Taking matters into his own hands. Taking our dilemma 
upon himself because he knew we could never save ourselves. And he had to come down and die for us. How do we defeat pride? By feeding on the gospel. By drinking these truths in. By never getting tired of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. By always looking at the cross point. And just being overwhelmed. And never satisfied with understanding what it meant for Jesus to come down, take our sins upon himself, and die for us. You drink that in and watch the pride melt away. How can we look at that and believe it and say we are saved by Jesus Christ and what he did and not see our pride disappear? How? Oh, dear friends, the cross and the Savior who hung upon it is the remedy for all our sin, including our sin of pride. Regardless of what we we struggle with, that's the answer right there. Trust him. Call upon him. Plead with him to save you from your sin. Well, friends, let me end by highlighting one last thing. We said the things, of the, the, the things of the world do not make us important and valuable, though we often think they do. The world looks at uh, these outward things and ascribes value and worth to a person based on these outward things that they have. Uh, what does God value? What metric... What standard, what categories does God use to determine who, which person is of more worth than others? It's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we'll close on this one. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. I'll tell it to you right now. It's righteousness. God doesn't care what you have. Doesn't care how good you look. Doesn't care how intelligent you are. God cares how righteous you are. And he ascribes value on the basis of righteousness. Jeremiah 9 verse 23. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, here it comes, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. What about me? That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Here it comes, for in these things, verse 24, I delight. That's not good news, folks, because none is righteous, not even one. So even if we use that metric and that standard, we would still fall short. And no one knows how unrighteous you are better than you. You've committed sins that even your closest friend doesn't know, even your wife, your husband. Stuff you'd never even dare share. So we can't tell who's righteous or not, you know, we can't. 
And so it's not our place to make decisions on who's, who has more worth. That's up to God. Leave the real separation of who's righteous and who's not to God. He knows what he's doing. But here's the truth. None is righteous. None will make it. And there's no room for the proud in heaven. This is why there's no room for the proud in heaven. For sinners to look down on each other because they've got a nice car, because they're from a nice city, because they went to a nice college, and look down on another person. How does God let such a proud person in heaven? No. This value system of heaven that we see shows us the real heinousness of pride. It is because of this that pride stands in the way of our prospects of getting to heaven. Some of us are even tempted to think that just, that just as having more things on earth gains the respect of people, we think that doing more good things than bad things gains the respect of God. It's not true. God's standard is righteousness, perfection, and none of us can get there. Do you know what it takes to get to heaven? Humility. It, it takes humbling ourselves before God. It, it takes for the first time in our lives, if we haven't done it before, go to God and say, Lord, I have fallen short and I will never rise to the standard that you require. I might be more righteous than that guy there, than that lady over there, but I can't measure up to what you require. I'm going to humble myself before you and say I've messed up. I've fallen short. I'm not worthy. I am even deserving of hell. That's where I need to go. And if you sent me there, you'd be justified in doing so. You owe me nothing but punishment. That's humility, folks. So, Lord, all I can come to, all I could do is cast myself before thee and plead for mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That takes humility. And let's be honest, some of us haven't gotten there yet. And that's what we need to do if we're ever going to have a chance to enter heaven. And I'll make you one promise. That if you cast yourself before God in humility and admit that you have fallen short, admit that you'll never meet God's righteous standard and requirements, and you plead with him to forgive you, he'll do it. And I can guarantee it because he sent his only son to die. No one sends their only and beloved son to die for a people. And then when these people humble themselves and say, Lord, I have no hope apart from Jesus and what you sent him to do, says, no, I won't have it. Too sinful. Oh, no. He'll listen. Not because of anything to do with you, but because of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, what a sobering and challenging message it always is to talk about pride and how it roots itself 
in the crevices of our hearts. And yet your word has a way of coming into our heart with a torchlight and just exposing it where it hides. We pray that you do this for us this morning and that for those of us who are struggling with this would look to your son and the beautiful gospel message we have in who he is and what he's done for us. May that melt the pride away. And we pray for those who have never really humbled themselves, uh, never really come and just admitted that they, they can't meet your requirements despite their best effort, that today would be the day of their salvation, that for the first time, by the work of your spirit in their hearts, they would humble themselves, and cast themselves before you and plead for mercy. And I've made a promise because you've made it in your own word that all those who look to the Son will be saved. Help us look to the Son today and always. In his name we pray. Amen.